I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news. Your home for Pac-12 gambling advice with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model with Sharp College Football's Rob Barron. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you. Uh, we will continue to record weekly throughout the offseason. And last week when we were covering uh, really just the, the end of the Pac-12 season, at least for fall, we talked about really moving forward every week and trying to bring on guests that can cover the conference from a unique perspective and we pulled through right away with a uh, with west coast college football and his friend mike yam who's going to join the show michael yam is going to be on the show and i'm joined by west coast college football and by rob bowron a couple items to go through before we start the interview with mike uh we have a ton of stuff to cover on this podcast and rob and i have been going back and forth we'll probably talk about it after the interview but just a giant spreadsheet of guests that we want to bring on and we have some pretty good contacts so just know that we'll continue to have really good guests on the show but also using rob's model not only to break down individual teams and offenses and schemes but also uh, one of the things that we're going to take a peek at are some of the other conferences if they play in the fall now if they don't we'll definitely focus just on pac-12 but rob's model and he's been breaking down every single team on his sharp college football Twitter account and through Periscope and YouTube and all that stuff. So keep a lookout for that as we roll into uh, spring season. And of course, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. And without further ado, after these messages, we got Mr. Mike Yam. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. This is what everybody's been waiting for. And look, look, I know. I I know you, you you saw the title and you said, hey, wait a minute. Mike Yam was on Podcast of Champions, and he was, and it was a great interview. You should check that out. But there's plenty of room for multiple podcasts and shows, and we're big fans of them and really liked um, really the questions and the outpouring of support that, that came to you, um, Mike, not only from them, but you guys really touched on on the uh, just on the support from the entire conference uh, when the news broke um, of your time at, um, at the Pac-12 Network and obviously like the face of the network forever. And you've just been such a good champion for the conference. It's funny. It's like, you know, when you think of, when, when I think of soda, it's like Coca-Cola, like the little red thing pops up. When I think of Pac-12 Network, it's like, Michael Yam, like, oh, <laughs> the Yam's here. So, hey, thanks for joining the show, man. How are you? Uh, doing great. Appreciate the uh, the introduction, and you're right. It's uh, it's kind of a crazy time, and you mentioned some of that support, and it really has been overwhelming in a great way. I didn't really necessarily expect to, to get that kind of feedback. It took me a couple of days and uh, more hours than I'd like to admit to uh, to go through and, and respond to everyone. And I think I actually have now, I think officially I've hit everyone back. So um, appreciate everyone who's, who's reached out and, and had really a lot of nice things to say. All right, let's get in. Let's get into the most important thing outside of the support that you've received. And that's Las Vegas, Mike. That's Las Vegas. So you, oh, yeah. you, 
you are a connoisseur, right? Pac-12 Network has the, uh, uh, and I love the live audience shots that you've done. Like, I really just loved the support that the conference and the network have done to the Pac-12 basketball tournament and just being there live and, and just having a, a good time there. So you've been around the block. You've been around the block. Where where are your go-tos, Mike? When, when you're off hours, you know, you're just kicking the shoes off. You've seen some really good Pac-12 <laughs> basketball. Where, where are your go-tos? Where should we be uh, looking out for? You know, it's kind of crazy when I, I think back to Vegas and all the years that we were there. And this is going to get this is maybe indicative to the type of person that I am uh, or just it also screams to the amount of hours that we're working. But those first two days, I don't think people realize this, but, you know, in two days, you're dealing with, you know, two sessions and, and basically, you know, eight games over those first two. So the hours are kind of crazy. And on day number one, all of the games are on Pac-12 Network. And then on day two, we would have three out of the four, but we would still do the post game after that fourth show. So, you know, when I tell you, like, literally in the arena is where I was eating all my meals on those first two days other than breakfast before I went out to, uh, to get ready for that pregame show. Now it did lighten up, but I got to tell you, like, I, I actually didn't really leave the hotel much. Like there's, you guys know, um, like Italy, I guess it's kind of like they, I guess the best way to describe it is like food trucks, but indoors and it's all Italian food. I would just oh, kind of get together. That place is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So like we would just kind of hang where, you know, I'd head down and meet up with a couple of our analysts, whoever was, know kind of available if someone was getting a workout and they join us later and um so typically i honestly it was in in the arena or i was eating there i mean it was great like i just didn't leave the hotel and i kind of kicked myself and and i i sort of say all the time like maybe i should have done a little bit more exploring but you just get so gassed and then there's all these like radio requests and, and you're talking with reporters you know that entire time and then you're thinking about hey like what are we doing on some of these shows and i feel like you're just so inundated with with the basketball so it's probably the the most lame answer that I could give you. Well, Italy, the, the live Neapolitan pizza where they make it on the thing. And, and the network has done such a good job. Bill Walton telling Dave Pash, we're literally standing in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty. And it's like the paper mache thing from New York, New York. There's just so many great <laughs> memories from that coverage of that. So that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to uh, to kind of cover and see what you were doing out there. With Italy, like the one thing that I will admit, at the end of the night, I would go get one glass of wine before bed. So like that was happening. And every night I would just try something different. So I, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a wine guy. So, and Don McLean is as well. So we would usually have, actually, you know what? I, I'll tell you this. What's, do you guys know the steak? God, uh, where Italy is, there's a steakhouse um, not too far from there inside the hotel as well. But the tradition always was Don and I would get in and, and basically our entire crew would get in the day before. We'd have production meetings about how the tournament was going to go. And every year, Don and I would go and grab dinner at that steakhouse. It would just be the two of us. And we would just kind of catch up on the year and swap some stories. So that's been the tradition. So I shouldn't say it's just Italy, but that's basically I, I didn't really leave the hotel. That's where the meals were. Well, a glass of wine is good for the heart as a wine snob on my end, yeah. too. I can appreciate that. Uh, so we have West Coast College Football on the show. We have Rob, and we have a lot of questions here. Uh, West Coast, what do you got? So, Mike, um, I know you've been covering the Pac-12 for a long time. Um, who are the best players that you've seen and, you know, who impressed you the most? Well, Rob, geez, I mean, I go back, you know, I mean, I've been at the network or I was at the network for, for eight years. And, and over time, I mean, I think the first name right off the top of my head, I mean, I, I would make an argument he's one of the great, you know, probably top five, top 10 college quarterbacks in the history of the game. And Marcus Mariota, what he was able to do 
uh, in Oregon, I think about the sheer athleticism on the field. Uh, one of his former teammates, the Anthony um, Dat, the Anthony Thomas, was was as tremendous a player as we've seen, and I think that's going back a ways here. Um, John Ross at, at Washington, also a premier athlete. I'm sort of like picturing the footprint and kind of working my way from from north to south but um generally speaking i mean there was some like the winning mentality kevin hogan and i never really thought he got nearly enough credit for what he was able to do at stanford he certainly comes to mind jared goff we got to see him in person remember his first game actually um that first tough game it might have actually been his first league game in, in eugene i remember like this crazy hurricane monsoon weather that he had to deal with and he got pummeled in that game but but goff obviously is is on the short list. Then I think about some players that weren't as heralded that were able to make huge impacts. I mean, Scooby Wright, what was it? Two-star scoop. He's another guy down at Arizona uh, who really made a mark and, and wasn't highly publicized. Um, but those guys off the top of my head, those are a few of the players that certainly, you know, that I think about over the years that really had a ton of talent. As the, uh, as the PAC 12 heads into, it'll be interesting to see how everyone has it deals with, you know, potential new TV negotiations here, but how does the conference, I think, is it, uh, and, and you had some of this with the Pac-12 network, try to address some of the passion deficit, you might call it. I live yeah. in Big Ten country. I live in Columbus, Ohio. So it's uh, it's like you all know, Buckeyes yeah. all the time here. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. I think some of it starts with the, the schools. Some of it, you know, but some of it, you know, has to come from the conference, too. How does how does the Pac-12 start to, to build more of that sort of long-term support from, from fans? Yeah, I think it's a really good topic to bring up just because in the eight years, and, and keep in mind, because I know you're obviously in the Midwest, I grew up in the Northeast. And before I came to Pac-12 Network, I was at ESPN for four years. And when I got the job at Pac-12 Network, it occurred to me about two weeks into the gig that there really was such a thing as an East Coast bias. And I would think back to the shows that I did at ESPN, and we would talk USC because it was USC. You know, Chip Kelly had Oregon rolling. We would talk about them. Andrew Luck was at Stanford. So, of course, they were in that conversation. But outside of that, you know, we weren't really having conversations about the other teams in this league. And when I got to the West Coast and I, I took the job, it became pretty apparent as you watch the shows that there just is not as much attention. And, you know, what's the long-term plan to try to get that going? I, I, I think the short answer is I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you replicate a, an experience from a geographical standpoint. Like when I would go to Alabama for a pro day, when I was at ESPN and you know, Trent Richardson would be down there, like that, the, that area is just, I mean, that's religion, right? Like Saturday is, it's a thing. Yeah. There's a reason why right now we're having this conversation and, and I'm surprised to be quite honest with you. You know, the big 10 is, is not playing and didn't kick kind of kick that can down the road. But I think if you use that comparison, big 10 and pac 12, here you go. Two different, two separate conferences that netted out at the same decision. And yet what have we been hearing these last few weeks? It's parents, you know, you know, uh, picketing outside of Big Ten headquarters. It's Kevin Warren under fire. You know, the Pac-12 hasn't really received that type of scrutiny for the same decision. Now, part of it, I think you can make an argument. They released the medical information, and I think that's, I think, put a, parent, a lot of parents at ease. But I, I don't know, like, there are passionate fans out on the West Coast for their respective teams. There's no doubt in my mind. I've seen it for eight years. I've been inside those stadiums and understand that passion. But in terms of sheer volume of fans that have that similar passion, I don't 
think it's there, guys. And, um, you know, people, you know, I know you guys have had Yogi Roth on the show before. Yogi would say it all the time. He's like, oh, you know, we got more life options because, you know, you got kids at Stanford thinking about the next, you know, billion dollar company that they can create. You know, Southern California, they're out there, you know, uh, surfing and, and doing other things and being out in nature. I, I don't know. Maybe there is something to that. But I, I, after eight years, I don't have a really solid answer to try to get mass appeal on Saturdays when Stanford's rolling and they're winning Pac-12 championships and winning Rose Bowls. I mean, you head to campus on a game day in league play, like it might be 50-50 in terms of, you know, fans that are, are there for the, for the opposition. I mean, it just, it's not the same as what we're seeing in other leagues. Yeah. And I think that if you had the fan base at Stanford, I think you see at least one Heisman Trophy winner um, in Palo Alto at some point over that time. And you mentioned how a lot of teams and a lot of networks will just they just didn't know. I mean, you look at the stats, but you don't see it in person where you just like, holy goodness, Toby Gerhardt is a monster. Or just, you know, some of these players are just like, oh, my gosh, I I didn't even realize that. But, you know, people like us that are watching the conference are just going like, how do how do you not see this? Like Bryce Love was just yeah. electric. He touched the ball and I stood up in my seat every time in 2018 just because of how um, dynamic of a player he was and how that offensive line hung and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, as we transition, well, Christian McCaffrey is, oh, is yeah. me, I mean, you, you asked me about the best players. I mean, hell, I, I probably should have said Christian's names first. I mean, I, I don't know if there was a, a more talented guy that was such a difference maker, especially a guy that didn't get that Heisman. But you know, I think those are two separate topics though. One the fan base and the passion. And then two, you know, when you start talking about awards like the Heisman, I actually, I don't blame fans. I, I actually blame in a lot of ways, the media. I, I mean, let's be real here. You know, when I worked at ESPN and I got it, cause you know, you're doing shows late at night and you've gone a whole day of watching college football. And to be honest with you, you do the late night show. And, and for those who don't know, Whatever that wrap-up show is, you know, sometimes you'll even have a Pac-12 game that's going on. So a producer will build a rundown. There's going to be a heavy dose of Big Ten teams like Ohio State. Of course, the SEC with the partnership that they have with ESPN, with the SEC Network, they're going to get a ton of billing. And then the team like Clemson, obviously, they've played earlier in the day. We're going to be talking about that squad on a late-night show. But I think when a producer is worried about time and then all of a sudden Christian McCaffrey – you know, has like this goes bonkers, goes for like 300 yards on the ground, you know, to me, like the, he, he, he deserves, you know, that deserves to be a lead of a show because if there's a, an equivalent performance in any other conference, that's in the A block. And they're, they're spending a few minutes talking about how talented he is. And I think the thing that was disappointing in McCaffrey's year is that's not what was happening. It was a one play 15 second highlight that you'd see on a late show. And they'd give the numbers for Christian McCaffrey. Like that wouldn't happen for another player. And I, I think those are two separate subjects, the fan base and the passion, but there's also a responsibility that you have when you're working at a network to showcase some of the best talent. Christian McCaffrey wasn't working, um, you know, less hard on, on, you know, non game days than any other player in the country. There is a grind and every player that plays in the power five conference understands that. And I think the PAC 12 for the last eight years, at least since I've been out here, has always sort of been on on the receiving end of less attention or negative attention, where the losses seem to mean more than losses in other conferences and wins didn't seem to mean as much. Yeah, and, and McCaffrey getting the ball, the, fir- the first pass in that Rose Bowl, where Mike, you knew he was getting the ball, I knew he was getting the ball, Iowa yeah. knew he was getting the ball, and he busts a 30-yard run to, like right up the center of the field. I mean, just some really dynamic players. But I mean, one of the things that the conference that will be interesting and should be covered more is this change in scheme. We're seeing a sea change of different um, 
offensive and defensive coordinators. You got Joe Moorhead coming to the conference. Um, sure. You have uh, you know, obviously what Clay Helton has done with the offense there, bringing in Graham and just just a lot of fun stuff. How does the network? How did you guys kind of take a look and see some of the talent that was coming in from a scheme perspective and adjust accordingly with your coverage? Was that a big focus, or uh, just curious how you looked at that? Yeah, you know, actually, it wasn't much of a focus. I think for all of us, you know, there was less concern about how you shift your attention to a different scheme and more attention to, hey, this is what their scheme is. How do we adequately cover those storylines? And, you know, Joe Moorhead would have been a great example for me this upcoming season. Actually, I'm one of the million reasons why I'm disappointed I won't be back at the network, but Joe is actually a Fordham guy like myself. So we've had that uh, that kind of connection and, and, um, you know, sort of known him through the years and I couldn't wait to see what he was going to be able to bring to that offense. I mean, obviously no Justin Herbert, but you know, what are the things that we were going to see? Like we saw when he was at Penn state and he took over that offense where there was a huge jump in productivity. Now, um, you know, to me, that would have been exciting, but I, I think for us, it was less about tailoring the coverage and sort of just saying what, the actual situation was like we would have reacted to no matter what whatever the scheme was whatever the coach was it was more reaction mode so we touched on a the passion deficit um but at the same time there's also a lot of tactical fan bases that are very passionate um you know especially when their teams are doing well and you know teams like utah oregon washington wsu uh when they've been rolling they've been having some really good fans uh, you know, what was the most electric atmosphere that you experienced at a game? You know, you actually touched on the fan bases that I think are probably the most impressive in this conference. If, if you said to me, hey, who are those four teams? You know, they would come to mind. Utah, you know, when Rice Cycles is going, man, the must, they're, they're tough to beat. Um, Washington, my God, that really is the best scene, the best backdrop in all of college football uh, to be there. And, and I've gotten to be there the last couple of years. Eugene is just spectacular when that place is rocking. My God, it's awesome. And in Pullman, I was actually there for the UCLA game last year, which is probably not what Washington State fans want to hear. But you're talking about a population in the city. Pullman's probably, if I had to guess, like 35,000 people and 28,000 of them are are the student body. I mean, that that town lives and breathes Washington State athletics, and it's awesome. Um, you know, those game day environments are all pretty spectacular. If you said to me, hey, the best setting, it's definitely Washington. Um, the coolest kind of atmosphere when it gets going. Um, Eugene's pretty special. Um, but in terms of like fans that just go crazy, I actually think it's a tie between Utah and Washington State. I don't think the fans of Pullman get enough credit for what they're able to generate uh, on a game day. I totally agree with that, actually. So I was at the Wazoo-Oregon game when College Game Day came back in, like, 2018. And it was just, like, an unreal scene. Like, I think Wazoo fans are definitely underrated in this conference, and they do bring a lot of passion. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You know, actually, and, and, and totally agree with you there. You know, I remember having a conversation. This was a couple years ago, and this is, uh, I want to say three, four years ago, maybe, um, talking to different coaches, Pac-12 Media Day. And the topic came up, hey, like, what's the toughest place to play? Like, hey, who worries you this particular season? And I must ask four or five coaches this question. And every single coach said Winningham's team in Salt Lake City. They are like, dude, I don't think people realize how hard it is to win there with the teams that Kyle puts together. And I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Like the last couple of seasons, we've seen this steady improvement as Whittingham has been able to properly recruit since he's been in the league, you know, and get more of the type of guys that 
I, I think can make things dangerous. I mean, the team's always going to be built on defense. They're always so tough in the trenches. To me, I, you know, they, they've been able to just get better, and I think that's a testament to Whittingham and his staff. There was this crazy stack, guys, and, and I, I wish I could remember it right off the top of my head, so don't quote me exactly, but it's something to the effect of, uh, I, I think, over the last four-year span, uh, heading into – actually, I think it's a little bit more than that. So the swing, we, we, we talked about this at the NFL draft. Utah's had the fewest uh, five-star guys and sent the most into the NFL from the Pac-12 conference. Like, it's scary. Um, just sort of the de- player development that we've seen in Washington. It's just a bunch of two- and three-star dudes, and yet here they are. You know, they just continue to find spots on rosters on, on sun- for Sunday, bas- or Sunday football. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree with that. Utah, I ran a, uh, in the projection model for this season, I ran a coaching and development ranking, and Utah came in at number 14 uh, in wow. trying to control for how they do versus, I mean, how they do on the field versus what you expect from where they recruit. Utah really churns them out. I have a little bit of a different question. I used to work in, uh, I used to work in New York City in the financial district, so I have a little bit of like built-in cynicism in life. <laughs> and the uh, so I always. By the way, the guy that like, used to work in Midtown Manhattan, man, I can tell you, I miss that cynicism, man. <laughs> that that New York edge, I do miss that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I I, I miss the uh, yeah living in Columbus, Ohio. I miss sort of the vibrancy of the city. I'm just like, come on, you people, are. like let's let's pick it up, let's walk. We got places to go. But with uh, Yogi Roth in particular, his relentless positivity sometimes, I'm just like, I, I appreciate it because I have that sort of cynical streak. But did you ever go into, into the work into work one day and just think, today's the day. I'm going to I'm going to get Yogi Roth to say something negative. Like, what do I how do I push him to it? Like, what, where do I go? You know, it's. I tell people this all the time. What you pick up on is so accurate. He really is the most positive person I've ever been around. In fact, I'll take you back to launch night when in, back in 2012. It was August 15th, and we launched Pac-12 Network, and Yogi was there. And Yogi wasn't the guy that was calling you know, the, the A game or the B game at that point when, when he had signed on. So like we're in there, and we're getting ready for this, you know, this first show, and it's just kind of wild, just kind of the you know. The, the pomp and circumstance around something like that. And, you know, at that point, like I met Yogi and I, I'm thinking to myself, like, he, is this, is this kid for real? Like, is he, is this even possible that he could be this positive? And then fast forward eight years and, you know, actually we were just playing phone tag before I hopped on with you guys. And we talked, you know, multiple times, it almost feels like a day. There's, there, I think I got him going one time in eight years. Like one time in eight years, I was finally able to get him going. And I couldn't even tell you what that was. Um, but it's like this perfect storm of things that need to happen to get Yogi upset. Probably Paul Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> you know what actually it might have been? Have you guys heard him talk about um, Paul Feinbaum? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like seriously, next time you guys have him on, bring up what Paul was saying about Utah last year uh, at oh. the end for a college football playoff spot. Like Yogs was getting really upset and I, I don't blame him. You know, I got really upset and it takes probably a lot. You know, I'm not necessarily as positive as Yogi, but it does take a lot to get me fired up. You know, Paul had made reference to Rob Mullins and said some really inappropriate things online. I actually remember tweeting at, at Paul, not that that matters because he's got like a gazillion followers and I'm sure he didn't even see it. But to me, it was a it was an irresponsible use of your platform to talk about Rob like that. It just wasn't really called for. So, you know, I think when he gets into personal attacks, that's probably when Yogi will we'll get fired up the most. 
Well, hey, good, good for him for uh, drawing the line there, uh, particularly with Feinbaum. I think that makes everybody, you know, pretty happy, with, <laughs> pretty easy target, but but a rightly, you know, one that certainly deserves it. Um, Mike, you've been more than generous with your time. Uh, we said 20 minutes. You've given us 25. And um, there, there's been a lot of talent that has gone through the network and uh, and just being able to hold down the fort uh, in a way that uh, really put the best face on this conference and the players that have worked for it and the coaches that are grinding for it. So just thank you for for what you've done. We'll, we're really looking forward to seeing where you land next, because where you go, you're going to be excellent. And just uh, very thankful for your time and appreciate all your voice for uh, for the Conference of Champions. Yeah, seriously, really appreciate the the kind words. And I think the one thing that I've learned from this experience is, you know, it doesn't necessarily, the league doesn't have that passion like we talked about earlier in the show in terms of mass numbers like the SEC or even the Big Ten. But I got to tell you, this community has been insanely supportive and, and it, I didn't expect it to happen. And I, I think, you know, in terms of where, where things go next, I, I hope I'm able to stay kind of in this league footprint because there's some really special places and, and some great cities that I've been able to visit over the years and would love nothing more than, than a gig in one of those spots. So keeping the fingers crossed, but really do appreciate what you guys do to kind of beat that drum for, for this league. Right on. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, everybody, Mike Yam, definitely check him out. We'll, we'll keep an eye on where he's going, and we'll make sure to uh, to promote uh, what the next project is on the horizon. Thanks again for your time, Mike. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. All right, we're back. Rob Barron, West Coast College Football. And, dude, the Yam, man. Uh, West Coast, what, uh, you know, what jumped out for you? I think Mike's just a great guy, um, number one. Um, I think he has great things ahead for him. Um, and then I think he's, you know, talked um, – on a lot of interesting topics, I appreciated the transparency with the, you know, Rob's question about the passion deficit. You know, the Pac-12, you know, it doesn't have the volume of fans that maybe the Big Ten or SEC do, but the fans, you know, who are there are very passionate uh, within that. Rob, we talked about the passion deficit. I think one of the things that would have been interesting, and, and there is the handcuff, right, because the distribution is difficult and the time zones are difficult. But there, like I remember we were doing our preparations for last season. So this has been two seasons ago, actually, which is crazy because time is uh, it means it's <laughs> yeah. meaningless at this point. Um, but I just remember that there were so many really good young cornerbacks and we're starting to see them come into fruition. I mean, like we had Chase, Chase Lucas and we had Paulson Adebo and uh, ASU had some guys coming in. And like there was just all these young, really talented players that nobody really knew about because uh, I mean, like people in the conference did, but even people that follow Pac-12, usually you're following the offensive side because it's easier and it's more fun and all that stuff. But when we talk about like getting into the details, we talk about whether it's gambling or just being a real strong fan of the conference, um, knowing some of those lockdown corners or a linebacker that's going to shut down the run on a certain like in a certain area, all that stuff's so important. How do you like what, what would you recommend in terms of getting those names out if you're looking at the Pac-12 network as they move forward and try to find uh, the distribution to get those stories out? I mean, it's, we, we talked about this, you know, we talk about this a lot in reference to the financial side of things, like with the revenue, um, you know, in the Pac-12 skipping, <clears throat> partnering up with Fox or ESPN to launch the network, um, you know, and that hampering the number of households they were able to get into. But it also really made it so that the the network itself was siloed, right? Like the, the Pac-12 didn't send, you know, like Feinbaum's an example. He's a personality. He's become really an ESPN personality, but he started out really associated with the SEC. And I think that, you know, I mean, he still mostly is. Uh, but there's a lot more crossover with folks on, you know, those networks and, you know, the, uh, you know, their, you know, the parent, you know, you could almost say like the parent networks. 
um, you know, and, and helping to promote, um, you know, those conferences, those games, because those, you know, those networks are now really invested, you know, in the product and making sure that it is successful. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is at a spot now where I do think that they, you know, looking forward, they do need to be looking at potentially finding a partnership that can help them, um, you know, put together other avenues to put, you know, players' names out there um, and to market the programs better. You know, I, I think that some of that will help. That, that you, you may need to trade some, you know, dollars now for that investment down the road. But I think that kind of thing could really help the conference, um, you know, start to get, you know, get more players' names out there, right? I mean, Oregon's going to have a, a, a nasty lights-out defense this year. Yeah. Uh, but how many people in college football really know who Thomas Graham is? Not that many, right? I mean, like, I mean, I, people should, but I, I don't know that a lot of people, you know, outside of the West Coast really know how good that Oregon secondary is going to be. You know, I think what Rob said uh, is the biggest thing. When the Pac-12 made that choice to go, you know, kind of be their own individual entity and rather than teaming up with, you know, say ESPN, um, you know, something I've noticed is just like, and you watch ESPN, like on a college football Saturday, like they're promoting the team's and the games that are on their networks. So, you know, they have a reason and an incentive to kind of hype up, you know, the SEC, for instance. Like, it makes financial sense for them to do that. You know, for the Pac-12, it's almost like a competitor because it's taking eyeballs away, you know. So they want to hype up, you know, their teams. You know, I think it does come down to the teams to promote their players as well. I think that, you know, Oregon's coaches, what I've noticed is they are really good at, uh, like, you know, something positive is said about one of their players, their whole coaching staff will come out and like retweet that tweet and, you know, or make a comment on it. So I think that, you know, it's up to the schools to an extent to promote their content, just amplify everything. If you have a good player, you can just keep on amplifying it and get that player's name out there. Rob, one of the things that I was surprised about was a scheme. And it's something that we try to, we juggle with here on the podcast. Like, the, these coordinators that are coming into the conference uh, are really, it's really important <laughs> to your, if your team is on the brink, bringing in a, uh, bringing in a good coordinator can be a game changer. It's the difference between, um, you know, being Arizona last year um, and, and trying to get up to like the middle of the pack. It's also the difference between Oregon being on the cusp of national prominence to possibly becoming a, a favorite in the, in the coming years. So were you surprised by, you know, Mike's answer in regards to scheme and, and how they cover it. I, I it's just it's kind of hard, right, because you can really get in the weeds. But also there's got to be a way to make it um, interesting uh, to people because it just has such a the air raid certainly has become something that everybody is familiar with, uh, probably because it's more exciting than like defensive scheme. But still, like, I, I think people have embraced that idea and they just they hear air raid. They think, oh, offense throwing the ball. Right. And like there are some defensive systems here in the conference that are quite good. Um, and just nobody knows. Nobody knows what Utah is doing, basically, if you're not following the conference like just lazy if you're not laser focused on what's going on there. But Utah is one of the most successful defensive programs uh, in the country, particularly with the talent that they have. I mean, I, I, would, I would make a big case for the fact that they keep getting three stars and they keep being incredibly successful at stopping teams. Yeah, it is. It, it's a tough trade off, though. We see. Um, I mean, we have I mean, not that we're at that kind of scale, but like we have this conversation, right? Like, how deep do you go? Right. Like, at what point do you turn people off? Um, and I do think that it's it's not just the Pac-12 network. I mean, I, I think a lot of networks have this conundrum of, you know, how do you keep the casual fan there 
um, without getting too deep into the weeds. Um, and I would, you know, I, I think you could definitely argue that for the most part, right? Like they, they stay at a pretty surface level. Um, and I don't like, I don't think that that's particular to the PAC 12 on that. Um, I do think that, I do think though that there is, there is a tremendous opportunity out there. I mean, I think some of the the best segments that people have done, you know, uh, in the last couple of years have been, you know, getting more in depth on, uh, X's and O's and really the PAC 12 network certainly has the folks there, uh, you know, with the former coaches, you know, and, and former players that are there on staff, uh, to get more in depth, right. And, and, um, to, to try to break it out. I mean, if they were looking for potential, you know, interesting content to be running out there this fall <laughs> where people actually might be really interested, uh, enough to watch at least hardcore fans, you know, it, uh, it, it might be a need to get into like some deep dive on scheme because even teams like, I mean, there are, you know, there are some really interesting, really successful schemes out there that have very good players. And those are the ones that really tend to get noticed. But I would like their, uh, and everyone should read this, like Athlon. I hope you guys read this. Like Athlon did their like uh, anonymous coaches quotes on <laughs> it's other like teams. The dirt, the dirt it's is like so the, good. It's one of my favorite things. It's like the of Mean any... Girls of Pac-12. Yeah, I know. But like even like Arizona's offense is has an interesting like developed scheme. They don't necessarily have the players to you know they didn't really have the players to execute it right. Um, but there are some interesting you know schematic uh, things going on around the conference right. Like what Andy Ludwig does so sometimes like which is at times even looks like a you know flex bone um, is interesting right and different than you know what a lot of people are doing or how how do you implement like do you go with you know if you're doing the air raid at say USC, you obviously have quite different personnel than Mike Leach is able to recruit. So do you do what, you know, Lincoln Riley does at Oklahoma, which is he's able to use his tight ends effectively and was often in like 12 personnel, uh, when he has the tight ends to do it, he's still running air raid. I mean, people, you know, like helping fans understand the air raid, isn't just four wide receivers on the field and whatever Mike Leach is doing, uh, that you can run air raid concepts with tight ends on the field, uh, as well. I mean, like really helping fans, I think, get to that level of understanding would be interesting. I mean, I, I say it selfishly. I wish people would spend more time on it too, because like I get random fans tweeting at me, like, uh, you know, and they'll say like, it's not, um, They'll say that, like, you know, no one's ever won a national championship with the air raid. And you'll say, like, Oklahoma won a national championship running the air raid. Uh, and then they'll be like, well, it's not the true air raid. And you're like, what is this, the truth? Like, this is the true Scotsman fallacy. Like, like I, I think helping fans understand college football at a deeper level, I think, would be uh, a real service that the Pac-12 could do, as well as providing some content in what might be a very empty fall. And it's one of the things that we're going to, get into on the podcast so like why has washington's defense been so good with jimmy lake what do they do that's special and different and there there's an answer to that um why <laughs> why did washington wipe the floor with uh, outside of that snow game i will fight you washington fans all that 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 was an anomaly but for the most part why did washington wipe the floor with wazoo and the apple cup um it, it, because it's because basically mike Re- leach was running the same scheme over and over again and jimmy like opened you know, like dusted off the playbook and just continued to uh do what needed to be done Done to hold that at bay um what is Oregon going to try to do like we mentioned with Joe Moorhead I think there's some really interesting angles that we can take so we're going to look at those 
as we go into the offseason, I mean, the run and shoot, like, right, what is that? And what does your team need to expect when you face uh, Rolovich, maybe? <laughs> like, if he's still there, uh, but when you face Rolovich in the Wazoo offense, uh, there's just some really interesting questions that we can do. And I think we're going to try to frame it in a way that um, that every every fan of every team as much as possible can participate. So it's not just like, this is our Utah podcast where we talk about your defense. It's more like, what has Utah done um, against a number of teams to to really just make a name for themselves in the conference uh, with uh, oftentimes players that nobody really had heard of until uh, until they joined Utah. So I, I think there's a couple other things that we mentioned with Mike. Um, I loved, by the way, uh, West Coast College football. I'm not sure if you were a Kevin Hogan fan, but like we were big fans of him at 12 Pack Radio and even at Wildcat Radio back in the day. Um, so I'm glad that he got some love because that cat was awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree on that. Uh, Hogan was definitely one of the most you know, underrated Pac-12 quarterbacks of all time. Uh, he was kind of just like a gamer, you know. He he wasn't really flashy, but he was just effective, and he knew how to win, and he didn't turn the ball over. And, um, and I think he's still in the NFL now. So he's, you know, made a good career for himself as a backup. Um, you know, I think that it is nice to see someone like that get that love. And he just came out there and won games. Um, you know, I think that Mike touched on a couple other really good um, star players too with Mariota. Um, obviously Mariota did get the love he deserved. Um, but Mariota was just one of the most special pactful players we've ever seen. Um, and then John Ross, you know, I think that he really opened up that Washington offense in 2016 and just made a huge impact for the Huskies. And, you know, their offense that year was just unreal. And they really haven't been able to match that level, uh, since then. Um, but, you know, I think that he touched on some players that really did help their teams, you know, win games and make a huge impact. Uh, in the win-loss column. Yeah, so lots of lots of stuff going on. We still have our all pack 12 teams. Uh, Rob and I have been going back and forth and talking about guests that we can have on the show. One of the things that we'd like to do is have somebody on, um, like with Max Brown, where we had him on for an hour, where we're just really picking his brain on, like, what is this team doing? Why is why is this happening over here? Um, just those types of minds that are able to break down film, but also do it in a way that's interesting and not just cut and dry. Um, so keep a lookout for that. West Coast football, anything else that he mentioned? I liked... Uh, I like that he covered some of the, the fan bases there that are in the conference. And I'd agree, like going to Utah, not only the fan base in general, but the altitude. I mean, that's something that people forget is, uh, and particularly like don't even, not even football, set that aside, basketball, that Colorado, Utah road trip <laughs> where like, like I always fade the team that has the second uh, team that isn't as good just because that altitude really gets to the basketball players. It's a tough place to play. And if Colorado's rolling on the basketball front, that that is a legit stadium. Um, if Utah's rolling, that's a fun stadium. But bringing football back into the play, man, that is a fun stadium. It's not big, but it's loud. And that and that fan base shows up and they show up when that team isn't that good. Um, so I, I really do appreciate that the, you gave Utah some love. What, what are some other fan bases? And uh, like, have you have you been able to, to see a lot of road games here in the Pac-12? Uh, yeah, I've actually, I think I've been to every uh, stadium in the Pac-12. It actually really did jump out to me when Mike said that, you know, he's talked to, you know, a bunch of Pac-12 coaches and they all said Utah was the place they feared playing most. Pretty interesting to see that it's such a unanimous choice and it really goes to show, you know, what those Utah fans bring every single week. A lot of Pac-12 fans can really bring it. Arizona State, actually, you know, they, on a big game, like their fans can really, can really show up and make a lot of noise too, so... You know, I think Pac-12 fans, sometimes you get to feel a little fair weather, but when their teams are rolling, they definitely come out and support. And, you know, there's some really, some really loud stadiums in the Pac-12. 
Except for Cal. I mean, at yeah. UCLA. Let's, I mean, at UCLA, if you can get, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's call a spade a spade here. One of the things that I really would love is Corvallis. I was listening to the Quack 12 podcast, and Hithile has and uh, Adam have continued to bring on guests of each team. And the last one they did was somebody with Oregon State. And Corvallis used to be a really difficult place to play. I mean, like, it, it was kind of a graveyard for uh, teams that were on the rise. <laughs> and then, like, Jaquiz Rogers would just do Jaquiz Rogers things. And, like, that was kind of the end of it. Um, and, and so, like, I was always just devastated um, and frightened anytime a major Pac 12 team would go to Corvallis on a Friday night or something. And, you know, listening to uh, the guy from, I think it was uh, the Breaking Down the Dam podcast, it's, it's whatever the SB Nation podcast. Uh, show is over there uh, he was just talking about how like for the last four years that stadium has kind of been dead and there's just been an apathetic um feeling around the program and obviously you know new coach new program uh injecting some life but really seeing corvallis come back to where it needs to be in terms of that giant killer would be so so fun rob i i, I really like i i've always been a, a fan of uh corvallis i think they have sneaky good fans not only in football, but in basketball too. Like as somebody that's watched a lot of Arizona basketball and just seen Arizona like fall over and over and over again in Corvallis when like, you know, Oregon state is eight and 10 in the conference, but just the fans bring it. It's a, it's just a tough and sneaky place to play. Yeah. I, I have personal experience with this. My sister is an Oregon state alum. Um, and she is a huge, huge Beavers fan, uh, to the point of like wanting to name her dog, Mike Riley, so that she could talk to Mike Riley during the games. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but it has been, uh, you know, it, it, it definitely went really, really wrong. Um, you know, and they've had to try to, uh, to, to rebuild. Uh, and I think they're, I mean, we, we think, I mean, I think we're all sort of in agreement that they're headed in the right direction under Jonathan Smith, but, um, you know, getting back to the days where they're like the early Mike Riley days or like the, the Dennis Erickson days, like those are those like in those days. Yes. Like Corvallis was a place you absolutely did not want to play. All right. Let's make a decision right now, Rob. Next podcast. What are we covering? <laughs> uh and west coast you're invited you're you are invited of course I, i'm just I, I sent rob the spreadsheet um and i'm I'm curious what, what do we want to get into let's do the how would how would your team have done against lsu last season that'd be a good one <laughs> yeah that'd be good like especially for i think it'll be interesting on a couple of levels right um if you're oregon or washington or utah um, but also if you're arizona oregon state or ucla like how big of a spread and you're like beta rank has done a really good job of um, of getting a feel like obviously there are discrepancies between beta rank and Vegas and beta rank sees stuff that Vegas sees and Vegas sees stuff that beta rank does and injuries and all that stuff. Uh, but for the most part, it was a really good barometer for, okay, where is your program at? And if it, you know, in a vacuum, what are these teams kind of look like from an advanced model? And one of the cool things is after week six, like we've talked about before, really it, we're just taking, we're taking data and we're, we're cranking it and we're cranking it. We're cranking it. It's just improving, improving, improving. So like if we took a look at, um, at the end of the season, like maybe maybe let's not include bowl games because those are so like funky. Um, if there's a way of like cutting it off right before bowl season, um, when everybody just you know they put all their cards on the table and they are who they are. Um, we could that do that. I mean, I will say like Beta Rank had so heading into the like the playoff right when I reran it before the playoff games, Ohio State was still number one, slow, very very slightly over LSU, and then. After that, because Beta Rank, I, I 
and I'm, I'm not like, I think Bader Ink handles recency better <laughs> than other, other people do. Uh, Bader Ink was the only model. And I do believe, I mean, definitely like it, it, it had not only had LSU, like LSU as the favorite, but had LSU as the favorite by more than Vegas. Um, and I, uh, I mean, we could, do, I mean, we could skip that. I mean, like LSU, I mean, like just, to- I mean, it is tough because you could say like bowl games are wonky, but like LSU, like the teams in the playoff really care and LSU smoked, <laughs> you know, not only that, but like they smoked, <laughs> they smoked the best defense in beta rank last year. But I, I think it's also worth talking about because I think people still have in their heads, um, like, I mean, and you could go back to like 2014 and even like as late as 2015, um, that, you know, that you can, you can really like, you know, you could really win a, a national title just playing great defense. The, I mean, those mid- days may come back, right? Like, I mean, it's cyclical, but like right now, uh, it's the era of big offense. Like Nick Saban is running out an excellent offense, you know, you're in, you're out now. Um, you know, you've got to, you have to be able to score points in bunches, you know, just having a good defense is not going to get you there. Uh, and LSU's offense last season. I mean, when we get to, you know, particular, like, and we can, I, what I can do is I can, I can find a way to compare, I can compare at what LSU would have looked like. Cause I do want to include their bolt, like their playoff run. Cause it's just so incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they finish out with this just. Un- like their advanced stats profile of that offense. And I'm actually going to preview LSU tomorrow uh, on Sharp College Football. It's just amazing. Um, but I think people should get a handle on that, right? Because I do think people in the Pac-12, uh, you know, because you don't, like, unless you really make it into the playoff, you're not going to get that kind of measuring stick game against, like, what a top team it looks really looks like. Um, and I do think, I mean, Pac-12 teams have found out, you know, of late when they've gotten into the playoff that, you know, the, the measuring stick's pretty, is pretty rough. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> well, even Notre Dame has figured that out, right? Like, it, it is, yeah. uh, it's just so much higher. And, I mean, that's, we, we've we've talked a lot about like the three teams we always focus on, right, are Oregon, Washington and Utah in terms of like the top of the conference. And I would argue USC with the hires that they've made are in Oregon with the hires that they've made have really raised that bar. Right. Like bringing them up into, oh, OK, now you're like really trying to actually win a national title. Um, and, and like we mentioned before, like almost having Dave Aranda <laughs> like on the on the, that staff what, was oh a gosh. big that's a big balls hire if they were able to make it. They weren't obviously able to. He ends up going uh, elsewhere. But um, those are the moves that this conference needs to make to compete at the highest levels. And there's some teams that are doing that, which is really encouraging for the conference. I mean, that's when we pre when I previewed Washington on Sharp College Football, you know, my questions about the Donovan hire really were, you know, in hiring John Donovan is Washington, you know, are they really trying to win a national championship? You know, that because with Moorhead, Oregon is putting their cards on the table and saying, yes, we are right. Like Oregon understand, like, you know, Mario Cristobal understands, <laughs> you know, like you can't just have a great defense. You know, you can't have, um, you know, you can't have the defense be or the offense be in the service of the defense. Like that is that is not going to win playoff games. Yeah, that was Utah uh, before Ludwig, right? I mean, that was kind right. of right. <laughs> like, mean, come on, Utah, come on, and they did two, it. They made the change. It was great. Right. I mean, but too, like, I mean, also like the distance between right now, you know, the very very best teams at the top of college football, and like you mentioned Notre Dame. I mean, like they're 
like that distance between you know where the teams in the like five six seven eight like we see this in the playoff you know a lot like the you know those games like that ohio state clemson game in the semi was a little bit of a rarity because like sometimes the semi games aren't that good and it's because like at the at the top of college football there's often only two really really good teams and sometimes there's three we haven't yet seen four (laughs) you know um you know, but like the distance between particular, like with Alabama, I mean, it's not like, I mean, LSU had a terrific defense last year. It's not like they're not doing, it's not like they're not doing all of the things you say your team is also doing. They're also doing all the other things that your team is not right now. And that's where I think that the Pac-12, you know, like I think Oregon, you know, has put their chips in the table and is, is going for it again. Um, you know, I think USC with the hires that they made, you know, and recruiting bouncing back, they're going for it again. Uh, I just, I was a little, I was a little surprised just with the, the, the Donna. I, I mean, I think everyone was, it was a little bit out of left field, you know, that, and then for Utah, it is going to be, you know, they, they do develop players so well, like Utah has to just continue to recruit better year in, year out. Like their, their trend in recruiting has to continue to, to, to pick up if they want to compete at that level. Yeah, it's, and it's gone up to their yeah. credit. I, I mean, which is, which is encouraging, right? If they keep doing the three-star stuff, yeah, maybe you can win the South. But maybe like you jump up and snipe somebody um, in the Pac-12 championship. But are you going to uh, make a national splash? I mean, obviously, Washington has been recruiting very well. One of the things that was interesting, I forget what listener was, and I apologize, but um, had just sent me like screenshots of their 247 like sports defensive line uh, recruits. And, and you know, uh, West Coast College football is somebody that that has watched Washington, um, you know, better than I do. But it seems like Washington is is keeping pace on that, like, what do we need to do on the recruiting front to make sure that this is an elite program? Yeah, the Huskies uh, recruited at a very high level uh, the past about four years. Um, up until this year, though, they've kind of had a little bit of a drop-off this year. I think they only have, like, four four stars so far this year um, on the 247 composite. So I think Husky fans have been a little worried, you know, how things are going to go on the recruiting front uh, with the transition from, you know, Peterson to Lake. Uh, Lake was a respected recruiter. Um, as an assistant at Washington, but, you know, a lot of the recruiting falls on the um, assistants to do that job um, and the reputation of the head coach, um, losing Peterson, who is known for his ability to develop uh, talent. You know, I think that was a big draw for players to come play for him, uh, where Lake doesn't really have that, um, you know, track record yet. Um, So, you know, Oregon right now, I feel like, that are really the dominant recruiter in the conference. Um, and then, yeah, USC too. Um, those two teams are making definitely moves and um, kind of building and looking good for the future. Um, we'll, see, we'll see how USC is at head coach. Um, but it's also going to be interesting to follow, you know, who all leaves these schools uh, to the NFL draft or transfers yeah. to another school yeah. or conference that's playing. Um, you know, we already saw that. I think it was uh, Tufeli uh, announced for the NFL draft this week. Uh, then you had like Tay Martin from Wazoo transferred to Oklahoma State. Uh, we should have talked about uh, Tay Martin. I mean, obviously, Tufele is important too, but just from a pure um, uh, point of interest uh, <laughs> angle, how Tay Martin is going to perform in the or, uh, Oklahoma State offense. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see because they re- Oklahoma State's offense sort of, uh, and then we just previewed the Cowboys at Sharp College Football. Um, really went into a ditch last season for where they've been. Um, and they switched to uh, under Gleason, who's now the offensive coordinator at Rutgers. He only spent one season in Stillwater. 
they switched to a much more run heavy spread um, with both, uh, you know, hand, handing off to Hubbard, which is usually a smart play, uh, but also the QB, you know, really didn't, you know, wasn't as good throwing the ball and had a lot of carries himself. Uh, they are going back to uh, and, 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 you know, going with someone that was on staff, um, you know, as the as the new OC, uh, as opposed to I mean, uh, you know, they often they will often Gundy will often just go find some, you know, you know, really hot up and coming uh, coordinator from the FCS level or further on down. Uh, I, I think it really didn't work last season what they did. They're going to have to improve throwing the ball. Um, you know, for Martin coming in, if they can, you know, reemphasize the pass, get that going again, uh, I do think he could be a real weapon, uh, you know, in Stillwater. And Casey Dunn, their new OC, is, is also their wide receivers coach. And he has, I mean, all those great Oklahoma State wide receivers that have been in the running for the Bolitnikoff, you know, he's been there since 2010, 2009, a really long time. I mean, he's coached them all. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely moving into, a, you know, a, a really well-coached wide receiver room, um, you know, even though they didn't catch a lot of balls last year in Gleason's offense. So I think, I think it could work. I'm, I mean, I am, you know, and, and we said this, I mean, these other conferences right now, I mean, just it's all written in pencil, right? Like <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah. this potential for players transferring out. I mean, I, I mean, we'll see, right? And it's also, this is, I would say keep an eye out because, you know, the problems of the transfer portal are not um, it's that there is there is still the hard 25 signee cap uh, in a given year for, uh, you know, football programs. And so there's not, um, you know, the transfer portal often fills up with players that don't find homes because uh, it's not necessarily even roster counts that matter. It's how many players that they can bring in and sign against that cap. Um, that hard cap in there that ends up really, I think, uh, limiting the number of transfers. So we'll see if player, you know, if how many players are, you know, if it really did happen, how many players are able to transfer out. Um, also, you know, like even if a season starts, it's no guarantee that it finishes. And you could argue that for spring too. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, like I'm, I like, is it like, we'll, we'll see like the schooler brothers announced that they are transferring out of Arizona. I mean, like whether, whether we find, you know, whether they find a landing spot, you know, at a team that actually ends up playing, um, will be interesting. Because there's, I mean, if you look across college football, there's only a handful of conferences that are even still planning to play. <laughs> so there's not even that many roster spots available potentially uh, to start out with. But I think what you're more likely to see is like uh, with Tufele, you know, players that do have, you know, the potential to. Uh, you know, and, and have some eligibility and are looking at likely, you know, you know, first, second, third round grades or, you know, even a draftable grade, you know, the potential to that you might lose out on some, you know, uh, NFL payday, um, you know, even if you're even if you fully recover, like even if you, you know, if you came down with myocarditis, you might not be able to play for, a, you know, your first NFL season. Uh, may not be able to train, work out for NFL teams, you know, uh, you know, it might come down and that might really hurt your draft status. I mean, if you are, you know, for a lot of draft eligible juniors and seniors, you know, it doesn't from a just pure financial perspective, like that's a really big risk for zero, for getting paid zero dollars to potentially <laughs> give up lots of dollars. So I, uh, I, I think that's the one. Um, to keep an eye on it. Tufele is the, the, you know, the, the key of that switch to a, the potential, you know, Todd Orlando three-man front. 
you know, we were, we talked about this. It was kind of a bad fit in Texas because they had really recruited, you know, even in his third year and with some injuries, but a lot more guys that were suited to four man fronts. You know, Tufele was a guy that might have been able to play and, and you know, play two gap in for that USC team. Um, it, it could make it could make for an even you know a bumpier ride for Orlando in year one. All right, all right. Let let let's leave it there. Good podcast. Our thanks again to Mike Yam, and um, we'll continue to cover the conference as we move forward, including including next week how your team would have matched up with LSU, including the point spread, by the way. So we'll have those. We'll have all the numbers, advanced statistics. Should be a fun podcast. Stick with us. Uh, we're going to continue to uh, scour the globe for great uh, minds in the Pac-12 to bring on people on scheme and interests and all that stuff. So um, really going to get creative here at 12-Pack Radio. Um, our thanks to West Coast College Football for coming on, man. Thanks again. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Always fun to talk football with you guys. Oh, far out for sure. And we will catch you all next week.